Better decisions, fewer regrets. Do you agree with that statement? So why don't we just make better decisions? We'd have fewer regrets. It seems so simple, and yet, how is it that we sometimes don't make great decisions? We start a new year, and we think about the year ahead. Why don't we just make better decisions? Like, let's all just agree we're going to eat less fatty foods. Let's all agree we're just going to exercise more. We, would, we're not gonna re- we wouldn't regret those decisions, right? Let's, uh, let's save more money. Sound good? Let's spend less money. Right? So easy. Let's read some more books. That would be good, right? Let's turn off the TV and watch less TV and put our devices down a little more, right? I mean, all these things, they seem so easy to do. They seem so logical. Let's just make better decisions. But why do we struggle with doing some of those things? Why do we make decisions that later on we look back and go, man, I wish I would have, or why did I do that? Sometimes it's it's the regrets over things we did. Sometimes it's regrets over things we didn't do. And so we're looking at the series saying, let's make better decisions with fewer regrets. We're using as a foundation a book by the same name, uh, authored by Andy Stanley, and there are five questions that we can ask that help us make better decisions. What are some of these questions that we need to ask? The first we talked about is the integrity question. The integrity question is, am I being honest with myself, really? Starting with honesty, with why did I make a decision? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because we deceive ourselves many times. We'll lie to ourselves, or we'll make up stories, or we'll rationalize, but let's get honest with ourselves. Why am I making the decisions I'm making? That's a great place to start. And then also saying, what about not just my will, but God, what's your will? What are you wanting me to do? Where are you guiding me? And then last week, we talked about the legacy question. The legacy question is this, what story do I want to tell? So when we're in the moment, we're making a decision thinking not only what do I want right now or what feels good, or, but what is the story that is going to result from this? Do I want to tell a story that makes me a liar for life, that, that there are things I want to continue to hide and I'm ashamed of and, and don't want to reveal? Or do I want to make the kind of decisions that make a better story? that I want to tell to my kids and my grandkids, that I'm proud to share, that that show and honor God in that way. And today we're going to look at the third question, which is the conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? We're going to look at the conscience today, and what role does that play, and how does that factor in with our faith, and how God uses that in our lives? So is there a tension that deserves my attention? Because we often ignore the cues that are around us, and that are... Something about this situation doesn't seem quite right. Ever get that feeling? You know what I'm talking about, right? When your conscience kicks in and you're like, ah, something in that moment doesn't quite feel right. It doesn't just sit right. I'm not sure what I need, you know, should I do here in the moment? And what do we do with that? I remember back when uh, Shannon, and I, uh, Shannon and I first got married and we both brought uh, two used vehicles into the marriage. And part of that was that they weren't running very well. We were having issues with them so early on, um, I, I decided to do something about my car, and her car was stuck on the side of the road on I-69 and outside of Indianapolis, and, and uh, I was just like, we got to do something with our cars. So I wandered into a, a car dealership, kind of like a CarMax, the used car place, and just, just looking, right? Just looking. And I'm a car guy, and I like cars. 
And I, and I actually liked this one car. It was a Nissan 200SXSER. I mean, I don't know those initials at the end. I mean, this thing was, was decked out, and it caught me, and I was like, oh, we can do this. Anyway, I started working with the salesman and, and you know, spending time, and eventually, you know, well, let's come in and talk a little more. You know how the spiel goes, right? And, and time goes, and pretty soon the manager is brought in, and let me see what we can do. And, and, and next thing I know, I had a contract, and I was like, I think I can afford this car. And then it comes out that my wife's car is stuck on the side of the road, and it needs to be towed. They're like, well, we'll tow it for you if you want another one. Long story short, I spent 11 hours at the CarMax that day. <laughs> 11, I kid you not, 11 hours. In between, I did have to go home and get my wife because we were driving home with two new cars. I mean, not brand new, but new to us cars. And so we're driving home, and I'm kind of excited, but at the same time, I get home, and it just something just doesn't feel right. You know, sometimes it's buyer's remorse, or what did I just do? Like, we've committed to these payments now, and these cars, what was going on? And, and I didn't, couldn't sleep well, and I remember getting up, I don't remember if it was that night or the next morning, and I start pouring over the, the contracts that we'd signed, and all of a sudden I realized the games they were playing with interest rates and other things that they shoved in there, and I was like, Shannon, we're going back, I'm returning these cars. Uh, they had a 48-hour policy or something like that. And so the next morning, we drove back, and I said, here, I don't want them. Well, why not? You know? And I explained to them what it was, and they ended up giving us the better interest rate. They started taking out the different things. And anyway, we ended up with two cars anyway. And uh, maybe that wasn't the best decision overall. But I didn't have to, that negative payment of all that other stuff. But sometimes you get these moments where you just realize something just isn't right. And I, should I do something different? How should I handle this decision? And it's not only, you know, and sometimes it's, it's the big decisions in life. Other times it's, it's smaller things. It's smaller decisions that we make. And so maybe you get this feeling, uh, maybe it's a Saturday, um, you know, Saturday that you've had planned to just relax and to be at home and you finally put your feet up. You've been working hard. And your friend calls and says, ah, can you help me? i got to cut down some trees in my backyard and chop some lumber. And you're like, oh, Mm. I mean, it doesn't seem like a life-changing decision, but internally you're going, I kind of want to have my day off, but I know I should probably go help my, my friend. And we, we wrestle with attention. That, that's our conscience. That, that's something going on inside of us. It's tax season. Ever get any conscience struggles doing your taxes? You're happily married, but there's that person at work that is innocently flirting with you, and you kind of like it. Hmm. You're all straight-A student, and you're going for your scholarships, and you're just struggling in this one class. What do you do on that exam? You really want to play on the football team, but if you don't make this test, what do you do? Do you study? Do you cheat? What do you, how do you handle that? You're trying to stay sexually pure before marriage, but does anyone actually really do that anymore today? Nobody around seems to do that. Why should I do that? It seems hard. Why would I give in? I'm pregnant. But I didn't plan to be. I wasn't ready to be. I'm too old. I'm too young. What do I do? Our marriage is really tough. Do I stay the course or do I throw in the towel? You're shopping for a house and you fall in love with a house, but it's a mortgage payment you really can't afford. Kind of like with my cars, right? <laughs> you go, what do I do? Do I, oh, let's just do it. Let's just jump for it. And then are you going to regret that decision later on? When it comes to your faith, you grow up in a Christian home, you've been in church, and you love, you know, the church family, you love God, you've been baptized, now you're off to of college. Maybe it seems other people aren't walking the faith like you. It's that first weekend, that first Sunday, nobody else seems to be going to church. Do you go? Do you continue to lean into your faith? 
Do you walk away? So many decisions in life where we, we feel in our conscience, what's the right thing to do? And, and then some of these decisions can have huge impacts on the direction of our lives and the story that we write with our lives. Something doesn't feel quite right. What do we do with that? What about this bothers me? But when we feel that, and then how quickly do we shrug that off? We get that sense, and, and, and sometimes what we want to do is we just don't like feeling guilty or we don't like feeling like this tension, and so we blow it off and we just say, you know what, I don't have any time to process this. I'm in a hurry. Let me just, 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 go, just go for it. Or, you, you know, confirmation bias, right, where um, you just find information that just supports what you really want to do instead of really being objective and seeing what's, what, you know, what's other information is out there. You just confirm what you already want. You only listen to the voices that confirm what it is that you already want. Or maybe it's one of those things, you know, nobody else seems bothered by it. I look around in our culture and everybody else seems fine. It doesn't seem to bother anyone. Or it's a decision of I don't want to be judged by others, so I'm just going to go with, with, with whatever. And so we, we override those, that, that tension that we're feeling. We just ignore it. But then sometimes it's not just within us that we feel the tension. It's almost like an external conscience that's speaking to us. It's the voices of other people around us, friends, neighbors, well, maybe not neighbors, but friends, some coworkers, your mom. Your mom ever, has, has your mom ever been your, your external conscience? Maybe you heard phrases like this, something like this. Have you ever thought about dot, dot, dot? You're making decisions. Have you ever thought about, I'm not sure I would. Does that ever cause you pause when somebody says that you make a decision, you're doing something? Is that really what you want to do? Can you afford that? See, it can just be an innocent question. All of a sudden, the decision you made, it kind of steps back and you feel something going on inside of you. What, what's your wife going to think? What's your husband going to think? Here's one that gets pretty personal. Aren't you on a diet? <laughs> or the counselor question, right? Or not question, but interesting. Hmm. That's interesting. And all of a sudden, you were so sure of yourself. You thought you knew, and, and it creates that, that moment of tension. You go, what, I, what do I do with that? It's like a, a red flag that goes up. And what you realize is that we have to pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to what's going on in there. What do you need to do with that? Don't just brush it off. Don't just put aside. Today, we're going to realize that that tension, that conscious that God gives us, that plays into that, is something we need to lean into. And when we do, we make better decisions. I want to look at a story today from the Old Testament that we're going to dive in a little deeper, a moment that had huge ramifications that could have changed the trajectory of not only um, this person's life and another person's life, but all of history, and, and, and how a moment of pause can make a big difference. Now I want to look a little bit more at what is our conscience and how does God use that. So let's dive into that today. Are you ready to go? Let's go. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24, if you're following along in your Bibles or on your phones with a Bible app, we're going to be in this chapter. And this chapter tells us uh, a snip, uh, snippet of a story, a snapshot of a story of uh, David's life. David, a hero in the Old Testament, David who killed Goliath, uh, he is in um, conflict with the king, King Saul. King Saul is God's anointed for the nation of Israel. He's leading Israel and, um, and, and has issues with David because David... As a young boy, if you remember, as a young man, he killed Goliath, right? So he goes out in the battlefield, he slays the giant, and he becomes this military hero. He then is, is a commander in Saul's army, and he gets all this attention. People sing his praises. He's just a, a beloved by, by his military men and, and others around, and, and Saul just gets jealous. 
And eventually Saul wants to kill David. So David is on the run. He's fleeing. He's got some mighty men with him, some other warriors that, that are accompanying him. But he's, he's fleeing, and he's on the run, hiding out outside of uh, Jerusalem and out in the hills. And so uh, where we pick up the story is now King Saul comes back from battle, and he hears that, that David is in the wilderness, not too far away. And so King Saul takes 3,000 of his men, 3,000 troops, and they start heading into the hills to go and find David. And so as, uh, as these, the, the, the troops are coming, you can see 3,000 troops coming, right, on, on horseback and with chariots or whatever they have. And so here is um, David and his men. They're hiding in the hills, and they see this. And so as this, the, and I kind of picture, I don't know, you know, the Bible doesn't give us all the details, so we kind of have to imagine, I, I kind of imagine a western, right, where you've got the, the hills out west and you see, you know, the, you've got the, uh, you know, the Native Americans are out on the side there and you've got the, the caravan coming through or you've got the robbers waiting, whoever it is. And, and it's one of those moments where there's the hills and there's the path. And so now these, these soldiers are coming through and uh, David sees this. And as he's, um, as he's seeing the, the troops come, they're, they're, they're laying low and all of a sudden this caravan stops. 3,000 come to a halt, and David must think, and his men, they're on to us, and they see something. And King Saul gets off of his horse and starts making his way up the hill. And so David and his men, they retreat into a cave, and they're hiding in the back of a cave. And wouldn't you have it, King Saul shows up at the cave. You know why he stopped the chariot? He needed to relieve himself. Yes. King Saul had to go to the bathroom. And when you're the king, you can stop the entire caravan, and you wanted some privacy, so he went up in the hills, and he, and he went into that cave. And if you've ever been in the, in, in the back of a dark cave, or we walk into one, you can't see what's in there, but if you're in the back, you can see what's coming out in, in the front. And so king, king Saul comes up to the edge of that cave, and he's starting to go to the bathroom. Well, it's at that moment, this is a great story, isn't it? <laughs> So now David and his men, they're in the back of the cave, and they're whispering. They're thinking, oh, man, this is our moment. This is what we have been waiting for. And so we read about this here in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. They're whispering to David, now's your opportunity. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. This is unbelievable. Isn't this just like God? What are the odds that King David would be, uh, King Saul would be right here? He's giving it to us. This is the moment that we seize this moment. We're no longer going to be on the run. We're no longer going to be fugitives. It's time to take our place in the palace and to finally eat some good food and to sleep in our beds. And oh, this is unbelievable. God, I can't believe you have given us this moment. Now it's time to go. Because right over there, there's King Saul, and he's just opened up his iPhone, and he's working on his Wordle. This is going to give us a few minutes of critical time to do something. And so David knew what he needed to do. And so we picture David, and, and the scripture tells us, so David crept forward. So we picture this moment. He's quiet. There's King Saul doing his thing. And, and, and David maybe puts a dagger in his mouth, and he's, he's, he's crawling towards the king quietly. He's getting ready. But in that moment, something's bothering him. Something's not sitting right as he's got this opportunity. He's ready to, to go and attack and to do this as men are encouraging him, and something's not right. He's like, this is the king. That's the king. That's, that's God's anointed. God anointed him. Yes, David, you see, was anointed as a young man. David was anointed by Saul to be the next king, even though he wasn't the heir. That was part of the jealousy that Saul had. And yet David knew, like somehow God had told him that he would be the next king. And, and his men were saying, this is your chance to fulfill that, that prophecy on your life. And, and he's crawling up and he's struggling. He's thinking about it. I don't know, how can I do this? And he's thinking about Maybe the question we thought about last week, what story do I want to tell? 
When my kids and when my grandkids ask me, Grandpa, how did you become king? Well, you see, Paul was doing a number two, and uh, I just, you know, took the opportunity. And so lesson learned, don't get caught with your pants down, kids. This is what, I, you know, I'm doing here. So it's in the Bible, guys. Come on. It, it happens. This was the moment, right? You see the helpless position that King Saul is in, and David just didn't, it didn't sit well with him. Is this who I want to be? Is this how I want the story to go? Is this how I want to be remembered? And so now with King Saul in range, he pulls out his dagger, and here's what Scripture says. He cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. What? <laughs> he got himself a royal fabric sample. <laughs> I mean, this is what he ended up with. And, and he, he grabs this, and he goes, and he crawls back to his, his men. And they look, and he shows them what, what he got, and they're confused. What, what, what happened? His men couldn't believe it. <laughs> This is the man who took down Goliath. This is the man who was on center stage, who's not afraid to fight and to, to show what he's got, and he couldn't even take down King Saul in such a vulnerable position, sitting on a lesser throne, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. And so what do you do? Okay, I'm, I'm done with the potty jokes. I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. If we had a youth, I was, I'm, I'm an old youth pastor. Students love that stuff. They laugh. We can, you know, we can get over ourselves. But his men don't understand it. Why wouldn't you... Take advantage of this. Why wouldn't you take this moment? And, and what we see here is that, that David had a guilty conscience. It says so here in Scripture. We read about it in verse 5. Because you see here, the men now, as they see this, they want to now take action. Well, David, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do something. Here's, here's what David said. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe, a piece of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. See, his conscience got a hold of him. Something is, God, God's spirit said, don't do this. This isn't right. Don't take this into your own hands. There was a tension that he needed to address. But there was something that he could rely on in his own spirit, as we read in Scripture, that, that, that David was in tune with God. That David spent time in, in meditation and in prayer and in worship before the Lord. And so in that moment, he had the ability to discern, God, what is the right thing to do in this moment? And while everything seemed to point one way, while his men and others around him, and it seemed like this was history ordained to be, you know, for him to become king, he took a pause and he stopped and he said, wait a second, what do I need to do? And it changed, obviously, not, not only the outcome of King Saul's life, but David's life and that of an entire nation. And so what is the, let me just talk a little bit about conscience before we wrap up, come back, to, come back up to the story. What is our conscience? So our conscience, I would say, is this. Our conscience is our inner sense of right and wrong, good and bad, that guides our behavior. So it's this inner sense of right and wrong, good and bad, right? So, and, and, and it's intended to guide our behavior. Now, that doesn't mean that we always follow it. We can deny our conscience. We can go against it. But the intention is to guide us. The way that I would like to think about it is like a compass. So if you picture a compass and you look and you see... What do you need to know for a compass to work? <laughs> north, right? It has to be oriented towards north. If it's oriented towards north, then you can navigate around that. All of us can navigate by compass, right? <laughs> okay, well, maybe not the best example. But we're thinking about the compass, right? We know in, 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 that it has to point the right direction. Then we know where everything else is going. When we think about uh, maybe modern-day GPS, the same thing, if, they're gonna, if it's going to locate you on your phone, it has to triangulate you from, from three different satellites, right, to know where are you, to pinpoint you. It has to have that reference. 
And if one of those references isn't there, you can't be located on your map and you wouldn't know where you are. So we have to be oriented in the right direction. We have to know what is true north to keep us on the right path. And when we do, and our conscience is that guiding us towards the right direction, the goal is that we want to have a clear conscience, right? You hear that all the time, I want to have a clear conscience. We don't want a guilty conscience. Uh, Paul in the New Testament writes in Acts 24, he says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And I think that's the desire. We want to have a clear conscience versus living with regret, making decisions where we go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have, or I wish I would have. A a clear conscience says, you know what? I knew what God wanted me to do. I knew it was the right thing to do. I stand behind that. I own that. And it is leading me in the direction that I need to go. A clear conscience before God and a clear conscience before others. The problem is our conscience isn't always reliable. And that's where we have to look at it. Our our problem is that our conscience is is malleable. We can mold it. It can be shaped, right? It's not not always set. It can become warped and damaged. And and what really, the, the first part here of our conscience being malleable is that we often are influenced, our conscience is influenced by the people and the groups around us that we belong to or want to belong to. And so you see that, the influence of friends, right, that can have on a, on, a, on a kid's life or even as an adult. Who you hang out with, those values, those morals, those, those become a part of who you are. And all of a sudden, that can begin to set your conscience. But we're saying, God, how do you guide our conscience in the direction that I want to go? Not that I want to go, that I want to go that follows you, but our conscience can be damaged. And we read in, in Scripture in, first, uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupt. So we can have our consciences be corrupted and all of a sudden we don't know what, what's right and what's wrong and who are we listening to. And, and when we think about a compass, right, pointing north, what throws off that compass if you have something nearby, right? Other, other magnets, right? Or something with a magnetic pole and all of a sudden it begins to make the, the compass needle go in a different direction. And what we know is that on a compass... Little, little, uh, little uh, school quiz here. How many degrees in the compass? <laughs> 360 degrees, right? A full circle. If you're off just one of those 360 degrees in your direction, aviators know that if you're flying and, and, and you're off just one degree over 60 miles, you're going to be one mile off of your target. So let's say we want, all want to uh, charter a plane and we're going to fly to Miami for some warmer weather today. Sounds great, right? If we're off just one degree on our course, it's going to take us off, we're going to be off 20 miles from our target, which will either put us into the Atlantic Ocean or into the Everglades. So sharks or alligators, okay? You, you choose, right? Being off just a little bit, being off and, and, and not being guided in the right direction is going to lead us to places that aren't God-honoring, that don't bring us and help us yield what we want. And so in our culture, as we look, is the culture and the world around us can be these magnetic little pockets that can, that can guide us off course. And that can take our, our, our settings and go, hey, which, which, what's the right thing to do? We feel that pressure. We see it in our society. What are some of those interferences? And our culture has its views on human sexuality, gender identity. What do we do in those situations? How do we handle marriage, sexual ethics, racial unity, abortion? All of these, there are different values and different views. And, and who are we listening to? Who are we dialing into? And the world is pulling us in different directions. And all of a sudden, it changes and affects our conscience, how we see that. The way we handle money. What is success? Big questions we need to ask. Who determines what is right in these decisions? 
when it comes to our faith, when it comes to spirituality? Is it about pluralism? God is everywhere and God is in, in anything and you believe that and you believe that and somehow it's all of us together? Is it atheism? There is no God. Is it wokeness? All of a sudden, I'm, just, I'm enlightened beyond everyone else. I mean, what, what is the right thing when it comes to issues of morality and sin? Who determines that? What sets our compass? Is it what the majority? Is it a majority vote? Is it what the culture says? If it's not our culture, is it another? Do you have morals and values based on which culture you're living in? How do you handle sexuality? How do you handle your addictions? And how do you handle things that are acceptable and not acceptable? So our conscience can be corrupt. But not only can be corrupted, it can be completely desensitized. We read in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, it says, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What does that mean? There's teachings that come from people who speak like they have all the answers, but their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. If you had a wound back in the day and you didn't have a way to stop the bleeding or to heal that, you could cauterize it. You could sear it. You could put a hot iron on it, and it could heal that wound. It could stop the bleeding, but you know what the other issue was? It killed the nerves. And all of a sudden, there was no nerves. There was no touch. You were completely desensitized. You didn't know and feel correctly anymore. And I think that's a problem that we're facing as a culture, as a society, and I think it's happening in the church itself, that we are listening more to the voices outside of God's word and listening to what we hear, whether it's in politics or whether it's on social media or whether it's coming from Hollywood or whether it's coming from Wall Street, and we're so inundated that this magnetic pull becomes, oh, this is true north. True north is what so-and-so says or what everyone says or what this is the issue, and that is not the issue. That is not where we get our bearings and our guidance. That will lead us to, uh, you know, worse decisions, more regrets. So what do we do? Well, the, while the problem is that our conscience is malleable, that's also a good thing because it can be reshaped. It can be brought back into alignment. So our conscience, like a compass, needs to be accurately oriented to work right. Now think back to our satellite imagery, or when you think about pinpointing, you need three points to identify the right location. Well, there's three things that we can lean on to help us orient ourselves and to get our conscience back in the right position to make the kinds of decisions that would lead to a fulfilling life. And the first is this, listen to God's voice. Listen to God's voice. Now we hear that and we go, okay, well, great, thanks. Thanks for throwing out one that just is so nebulous. We don't know, what does it mean? Do I hear audible voices? Uh, what, what do we do? How do we listen to God's voice? The Holy Spirit in Scripture is often described as the still, small voice within us. It's, it's that gentle nudging. Some of us might even feel like that is a lot like our conscience. God nudges us, but we have to stop long enough to say, God, what are you saying? God, I'm in this moment. I'm trying to make a decision. I'm not just trying to use my rational judgment. I'm not just trying to look at what other people are doing. God, I need you to guide me. Isaiah 48, 17 says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. I mean, that verse right there is one to hold on to, that God is good. He wants to teach us the right paths, the ones that we should follow. Well, if he wants to do that, we should listen. We should ask. We should seek. Prayer is a way we do that. We get silent before God. We just meditate. We pray, God, I need your spirit. Help me to know what is the right thing to do. Speak, Lord. And what happens is, like when you're you know, um, you know, using your GPS and you get off route, what does it say? Recalculating, right? Recalculating. Let's get back. Let's reorient ourselves. Let's recalibrate in the right direction. So one point is listening to God's voice. The second is know God's word. 
And it really goes together with number one because God's word, the Bible, is God's voice to us. If you're saying, I don't know how I hear God, open your Bible. Open your phone and download the Bible and begin to read. And that's why we're reading Proverbs, the Proverb chapter every day to start our year. We're on Proverbs uh, chapter 15 today. There's wisdom. There's value throughout Scripture. And so we read God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think one reason some of us sin against God is we haven't hidden his word in our heart. Either we don't know or we've forgotten or we ignore, but that reminder, God's word. And so time in prayer, listening to God's voice, time in God's word, these are fundamentals that have been a part of the faith for ages. And we can't escape from those as being orienting pieces. Then we spend time with God, we spend time in his word, and all of a sudden true north begins to appear for us more and more and more and more clearly. And as God's word says, and as we talk, say here all the time, Jesus came to give us life to the fullest. We want to make those better decisions that lead us to that kind of life. Well, it ha we have to listen to him and to his word. And then the third point that orients us is walk with faithful believers. That voice can come from outside as well. It's all three of these working together. God designed the church. God designed the community, not for us to all be individual, isolated followers of Jesus, but disconnected from each other. It's to be together, to guide one another. When you're around others who speak truth into your life, who they themselves are oriented towards God's word, that community becomes a strong place for us, for our families, for our kids, for our students. I love how our youth coaches are investing in our students in the student ministry to have another voice that is not only just listening to God's word and pray, kids, make your decision, but here's a trusted adult leader who's following God who can speak into your life. That's why life groups for us in the church are so important that you get together with others to pray together, to share what's going on. To be able to say to somebody, I need some advice, I need some godly counsel. I don't need to hear from some guy who's doing whatever out in the world and I don't want to emulate their life. I want to hear, what is God saying? Help me. So between these three, listening to God's voice, knowing God's word, and then being with, walking with faithful believers is a way that, that God reorients our conscience and our understanding of how it is that we can best follow him. So we go back to David's story. A clear conscience. He didn't kill Saul. Saul finishes and, and, and heads back, and, and his men are in the back of the, the cave still. And, and then they, as Saul walks out, I'm sure they followed him out. And while Saul is getting back on his horse and getting ready to move on, David steps out of the cave, and he calls out to him, Saul, King Saul. He said, I had the opportunity to kill you. I don't know why you keep thinking that I'm trying to kill you. I have evidence right here. Look, and he holds up the, the, the cut part of his robe. He said, I had the opportunity, but I didn't do it because you are the God's anointed and I wasn't gonna take your life. Will you believe me now? But may, you may not, but may God judge between us who is right. Clear conscience between, between God and man. And here's what's so interesting, just a little snippet from verse uh, 19. This is Saul's response. Saul said to him, then shouted back up, who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. An interesting acknowledgement, David hasn't become king yet, but in that moment, something was shown about his character. There was something different about the story that David was writing. David's men saw it. King Saul's men saw it. King Saul himself saw it. And David did not take matters into his own hands. And as it happened, as we move the time forward, King Saul was in battle. 
and a wayward arrow came through the air, or maybe an intentional arrow, but it pierced his armor. And he was about to die. And instead of being killed in battle, Saul did the honorable thing back in the day. And he took his own sword, and he fell on it, and he took his own life and died in that way. And David never had to raise a finger to kill him. David became king, and God's plan was honored. When you look at your own life, how is your conscience this morning? Is your conscience clear before God, before man, before others? It's important to think through, how are you, what are you dealing with? How are you feeling within? Is there something that is nagging you? Is there a tension that needs your attention? This is the decision that we make when we feel that tension. The decision is this. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. Right? What does that mean? That means I'm going to lean into it. I'm not just going to ignore it. I'm going to lean into when something doesn't feel right, when something isn't sitting right within me. We think that's a bad thing, right? None of us wants to have a guilty conscience. None of us wants to feel that tension. But what if we reframed the way and said, I think this is a good thing. I think God is using this, that God will use this through his Holy Spirit to prompt something else, to bring us to conviction. This is the, John 16, 8 says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now we might go, ah, that sounds terrible. But conviction is a really, really good thing when it orients you back in the right path, isn't it? When you finally wake up and you say, like in the story of the prodigal son, my favorite line in that whole story is, when he came to his senses, the story shifts. Something happened in that moment and you realize, ah, this is my opportunity. This isn't God coming to blast me, God coming to put me under his thumb and crush me and, and make me feel guilty. No, this is God wanting to free me from this. That this is actually a sign, this is the way God is giving us a gift to say, you know, this is a, a chance for us to reroute and to reorient back on his path. Hebrews 9.14 says this, Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This isn't just on our own, trying to be good, trying to be better, trying to make better decisions. It's ultimately saying, God, I screwed up. I didn't lean into my conscience. I didn't lean into what your word said. I have failed, but God, I want to get back on the right path. And God says, yes, come, walk back on that path. I have paid the price for your sin, for your guilt, for your shame. You don't need to carry that. You don't need to have that tension. Now come, let's go and walk in a new path. And God uses those emotions and those feelings, those things we have in our gut, that something isn't right, that tension, to point us in the right direction. So is there something right now in your life that, is there a decision you're facing right now where there's just something in your gut that doesn't seem right? Or something at least that's alerting you to say, hold off, I need to lean into this a little more. Explore that. Go deeper into that. Maybe you're confronted regularly with, with uh, just the temptation something that keeps pulling you in and, and you feel that tension, can you put, hit pause? You say, God, guide me in this. Listen for God's voice. God, what does God's word say? Talk to somebody else. Some of you may be feeling and experiencing guilt over something that you can't undo, something in the past, and your conscience continues to replay that tape and rewind that thing and make you feel a certain way come back to that verse that says God's spirit, the blood of Christ will purify our consciences because of what he's done. He can take that and say, you know, it's done. It's paid for. Lay it down and now let's go and walk forward in, in the hope that we have in Christ. 
Is there attention that deserves your attention? This morning, I want to close with prayer. And I want us to acknowledge, and I want you to maybe just take a couple moments of silence and reflect on, is there attention in your life that deserves some attention this morning? And let's bring that before God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I know there are hundreds and thousands of decisions being made by those of us here in this place listening online. God, it's just a part of life. We're constantly making decisions. Some we just make and don't seem to have a lot of impact. But God, we know there are big decisions. There are critical moments. Sometimes they come in small ways, God. But but we want to be guided to what is true and what is right. And God, what would lead us to the kind of life that you have promised, the life, just life to the fullest a life of peace, a life of a clear conscience. And Father, you give us that ability not to to condemn us, not to crush us, but God, to free us and to forgive us and to take the weight of those burdens so that we, God, can be free to follow you. So Father, I just pray for each and every person here that is facing a challenging decision. Maybe they're wrestling with which direction to go, Maybe there's regret over the past, God, in their conscience. Would you set them on the right path? God, would you bring renewal and restoration? And Father, may we listen to your voice, God. May we dive into your word, God. May we be surrounded by other believers who who can speak truth and life into us, God, that we can walk a path that leads us to the fullness of life. Lord, we thank you for the amazing sacrifice of your son on the cross. That God we could experience forgiveness and freedom and hope and new life because you've covered our sin, you've forgiven us. And Father, may we lean onto that. May we hold onto that. May we accept what you have done on the cross and acknowledge, God, our amazing need for you. Father, we give you thanks for your your great love and that you continue to call us back towards you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.